all he said was, David, Jesus loves you. That was it. And somehow I was, I was standing up and then I was horizontal on the floor and somewhere between hitting the ground, uh, I discovered uh, the unbridled affection of God. And I knew that I was loved. This is The Unseen Story, first-hand accounts that reveal God's love and power in the lives of His children. What God has done for our storytellers, He lives to do for you. It's Wednesday, and we're back. Um, Thank you guys for joining us today. We are back with an incredible story from a local Anglican priest, and man, this story is encouraging. It encouraged my heart. You're listening to Dave's story, Upside Down Kingdom. My name's Dave Larley. I uh, am a Canadian who got to Texas as fast as I could via England. I'm married to Rachel. I have three boys, Ethan, Thomas, and Tobias. And I help lead a church here in East Dallas called St. Bartholomew's uh, Anglican Church. And... uh, uh, it's just, uh, we love Dallas and couldn't imagine living anywhere else. But how I got here, I think, is is an interesting story, which is, um, grew up in Atlantic Canada. Mom, um, until recently, uh, was a federal court judge, one of the first women appointed to the federal court in our province. Dad was a lawyer and uh, a lot of expectation that I would do law because my parents had uh, have a great gift of recognizing the giftedness of their children. And so they recognized in me that I was uh, good with people. My parents just wanted to encourage me to do law and then maybe go into politics. And I, I just didn't, for whatever reason, I knew that wasn't for me. And so um, they sat me down and recommended me, you know, a recommendation and command to go to lunch with the bishop. And uh, he asked me what I thought of the church, state of the church where we were. And for the first time in my life, I think I told someone what I really thought instead of what I thought they wanted to hear. And I wasn't very kind. And I've apologized since copious amounts of time. But I said things like, I don't know how you sleep at night. You're closing churches. You need to be opening them. I'm 23 years of age, as I was that time. And at this point, I'd never really, I had a sense of the awesomeness of God, but um, I certainly didn't really have an understanding of who the Holy Spirit was. You know, I was always taught not to play with fire. Um, so that the Holy Spirit was an uh, all-consuming fire. I was like, oh, whatever, whatever. I don't know what that means. And Jesus, I understood he died for me, sort of, but that was kind of a mystery. So I didn't really have a framework for what happened next. And what happened next is he asked me if I'd ever thought about training for the ministry. And uh, I had my club sandwich in my left hand. It was coming in, and everything slowed down and sped up at the same time. And I heard uh, this thought that sounded like my own, but I knew it wasn't my own thought, just kind of traced through my imagination and said, study theology in Oxford, England. And what happened next, I don't even know what I was thinking. I wasn't thinking is the problem. I put my sandwich down. I said, Bishop, funny you should mention that, but I've been considering studying theology in Oxford, England. And that surprised him as it equally surprised me. And uh, he said, well, if you study in Toronto, we'll help cover all the costs. But if you go to England, it'll be on your own dime. 
And I said, Bishop, I'm new at all this, so forgive me, but I think if this is a God deal, then money shouldn't be the main obstacle. So let's see. So I said, all right, well, there's a play, there's a college, Wycliffe Hall, you can apply there. We've had a student go through there. And so I left there and I walked to my mother's office. I thought I'd tell her first. And uh, she was thrilled because her father had been a, a priest. And I told my dad and my dad said, well, an Oxford degree is almost as good as a law degree. You could always study law later. So uh, that summer, I think I worked three jobs, gave away, sold whatever I could, and um, was packing up. And um, it, was, it was an odd moment because as I was packing, the Twin Towers uh, happened. And um, I, you know, as a result, it, the world changed. And the immediate implication to me was uh, I just was on a flight to England four days later. The first flight out, it was me and six air marshals. And we were the only ones on the plane, which is so bizarre. <clears throat> but I arrived uh, in England, and um, I don't know what I was expecting. But I, was ex I, had, I guess I had this weird concept that England would still be in Elizabeth Elizabethan times, and that would be very much Pride and Prejudice. And it was, and I got to the, the seminary, the theological college, and um, it was full of charismatic evangelical Anglicans. I'd never met a charismatic and I'd never met an evangelical. And I was really confused. <laughs> the part of the backstory was my father had, before leaving, been diagnosed with cancer. And I had gone to him and said, Dad, I'm willing to go to Toronto because, you know, if I, I go to England, then there's time that we will not get together. And he amazingly said, don't put your life on hold for me. Pursue the dream. So I get there, it's full of these students that I've, I don't have a frame of reference for them. They're, you know, I was used to organ music. Um, there was guitars and drums in church. And I was just like, what is this? And, um, and they started coming up to me. Some of the students said, you know, have you been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? And I said to one of them the first time, I said, look, I'm full of something, but I don't think it's what you're talking about. It was really disorientating. But as they talked about the gifts of the Spirit, something in me, out of really uh, love for my father and care for him, leapt at, the, at hearing about the gift of healing. And I thought, if there is something here that I could get, then I could take it home and uh, pray for my dad. He'll be healed. Hooray for everything. So there I was, like that, surround, with a desire for something I couldn't understand, what, what really kind of offended me at first is all of these students knew Jesus and they, they talked to me and prayed with, prayed with me. Um, I had never prayed out loud before and they were talking to him as if they would talk to a friend. And I was really angry because I had spent a lot of my life kind of trying to explore that. You know, I'd been a member of the choir, gone to church every Sunday, trained as an organist all that kind of stuff. So really into this, into sacred music. And then all of a sudden I'm meeting people who hadn't done any of that. And I guess, you know, there I was a, a Pharisee, you know, without even knowing what that was, thinking that how dare they have something that I've worked for. Anyway, so I'm, I'm learning, I'm going to these uh, prayer meetings. And then someone said, look, you need to be filled with the power of the spirit. And I, I was like, absolutely. I'd love to feel powerful. Um, and so I started going to this church in the center of Oxford, St. Aldate's, and uh, they had a morning and evening service. It was like full throttle, 
charismania meets liturgical and it was awesome and i went morning and evening and every time i went i went forward for prayer ministry and uh one of the funniest moments friends of mine that i saw recently still laugh that there was a word of knowledge given one sunday and that there's a and that was there's a uh we feel there's a woman here who's really crippled by pain caused by menstrual cramps and if that's you we'd love to pray for you and only one person responded to that word and it was me i was so desperate to to, to get something from god that i just i ran forward and but i was just absolutely like this is you know i want i want this and and so this goes on for i guess we get to march so september to march march 7th um there this really awkward group in my opinion came to the college called themselves traveling prophets and by then i knew enough about the new testament and the role of prophecy in the old versus the new to know that nobody really calls themselves traveling prophets so i went there really to debunk them and show that they were you know false prophets and um I, I couldn't have been more wrong i go there to the room and they're praying for people and we were going on a mission trip and so they called us all up asked us to put our hands out they're going to pray for us and anoint our hands and i was the last in line and as they get to me i really was unprepared for what happened but i suddenly had this sensation in my hands of fire and because i was unprepared i thought oh wow this is god telling me i'm going to hell like there's no saving me so i'm like sullen i was like okay well i guess i'll try to be the best version of myself i can and then i'll just take what's coming and so, you know, I go down to supper afterwards, the meal hall, and there's nowhere to sit. So I'm sitting on my own at the table, like, oh, so it begins now. And then the prayer team, who I had such problems with, because they were so eccentric, they had banners, a musician who played the keyboard, who had nature sound effects to go along with the music, and it was just not my deal. But bless them, they sat around me and they said, we noticed that when we prayed for you, you kind of had a, a reaction. I said, yeah. I said, yeah, when you prayed for me, God showed me that I'm, I'm, you know, destined for hell. And they said, oh, that's interesting, because that's not something he would do. I said, how do you know? He says, well, we know him. I said, well, what do you mean you know him? He says, well, you know, we, we know Jesus, and that's not what he's like. And they kind of explained it in such a way that it was like, this is what I've been missing. And so they said, um, just what Jesus had done for me, and that I was not going to be brought up on charges for my previous sins that it was wiped clean and and they say well we need to pray for you so they pray and the um the keyboard player who was in some ways a he was the most offensive to me and the greatest blessing to me came up and he said uh i need to pray for you i said great go for it and he said all he said was david jesus loves you that was it and somehow i was when i was standing up and then i was horizontal on the floor and somewhere between hitting the ground uh, I discovered uh, the unbridled affection of God. And I knew that I was loved. And when I got up off the floor, I was like, Lord, I will do, I don't know how long I was there, but uh, I got up off the floor and I thought, I will give my life to sharing this. And um, it was, the, the change was pretty instant because my tutors noticed that I had been in the back of the class with really cynical i was a bit of a jackass uh, asking all these questions that were divisive and just being a hard person in the classroom to all of a sudden was in the front i just had all sudden all this passion this zeal this energy and 
um, they really didn't know what to do with me because I think they were more accustomed to people losing their faith than gaining it. So I come home that summer to Canada and my sisters take me aside and they're like, what happened? And I hadn't told them anything. I said, what do you mean? He says, you're different. Um, you're caring. You're interested in our lives. Something has changed. What is that? And I just begin to share with them. And, it, you know, and so it's pretty amazing. So I go back and finish out my uh, second year. I meet my wife, Rachel, and um, uh, we're married in our third year. And then we moved to London, to Southwest London, um, where I took on a job there as a associate a training. The, the title is Training Curate. And um, it was just incredible. And so in the city of London, where we were, we were um, in the borough of Battersea. And it had was subdivided into different parishes. So it was a, a community church, a church that, and I guess we had maybe six city blocks, maybe seven, that were people in our parish. And, and so, for example, in England, if someone died in that area and they needed, the family needed a funeral, they would come to their parish church, they would come to us. And because you don't have the division of church and state, it's all one, that we were expected that we would do weddings for people who lived in our area um, and uh, funerals and just huge opportunity uh, because you had this sense that people would come to the church who didn't know the Lord. We had a prison in the parish and so as priests we can go into the prison as much as we wanted and we had started doing the alpha course there and um, guys were getting saved and we're asking to be resettled in our parish to live alongside the people that introduced them to Jesus and so the most incredible thing happened the prison service started recommended the families to come to our church because they knew we would be cared for they would be cared for and so we suddenly had these moms coming whose sons were in jail because of gang involvement. And they, they were such a blessing because they didn't need convincing of their need for, for the Lord. And then the, the police started coming because they noticed that crime was starting to go down in the area because the, the, the homeless and the drug dealers were starting to be cared for in a way that they didn't expect. One guy was this lovely guy, Liam Gillespie, and uh, Liam snuck into our Christmas Eve service and without telling anyone said to God, Lord, uh, Lord if you're a real, Northern Irish guy, I wish I could do the accent, but he said, uh, Jesus, if you're real and if you'll get me off the booze, I'll give my life to you and to getting other people off the booze. And that he started bringing people into his house, letting them live with him and he would take them to AA and bring them to church to us. And so he starts bringing his friend Neil the local heroin dealer. And I think Neil gave his life to Christ with me there about eight times. Um, he just wanted to be thorough. <clears throat> and what was incredible is um, he came right off the heroin because he was dealing and using. But the challenge was once he got off the heroin, his memory returned and he realized who owed him money. And so he would go to collect on his debts. And then all of his clients started coming to church because they wanted... Neil to go back on the drugs so that the debts wouldn't have to be paid. And I'd say, I don't think it works that way, but I'm sure we could work something out. And so, you know, he became a real um, person of peace for us because all of a sudden the patriarch of the, of the street culture in our parish 
uh, had gotten saved. And so walking to the train station usually meant I had to give it an extra 15 minutes because he would stop me and gather all of his, all the crowd that, you know, the beggars and the, all that stuff, the dealers and everyone who's around and say, now you're all going to be quiet because the preacher's got a word for you. And so the first time it caught me off guard and then you just kind of realize, oh, I, you know, it kind of was really helpful because I really had to read the Bible. I really had to have stuff going. And, um, and it was just an incredible thing. And then we had this <clears throat> incredible moment when um, a new store opened across from the church. And I was standing there watching it, wondering what it could be. And they started painting it electric pink. Uh, electric pink and so it really stood out. I'm like, oh, I wonder what it's going to be. And we're just kind of walking by. Maybe it's going to be a cupcake stand. Wouldn't that be great? Uh, but they start putting the letters up the top. And the first one was K, I, N. And we're watching all this king, kin, kin. And it, it was Kinky Ink. It was at the first tattoo parlor in the area. And, you know, the, some of the ladies at church were really alarmed. And anyway, as you do, I was going about life. And I'd walk by it twice on the way to work and on the way back. So we, it was a five-minute walk to the church. And there was a steady week where every day, morning and evening, this thought just came through my mind. Um, go in and tell them I love them. And I thought, ah, oh, that can't be God. That must just be me. You know, and uh, then I suddenly realized, says, okay, there's something going on here. I, I just I need to go in just in case this is God. So I walk into the tattoo parlor and um, I just hate needles, right? So that's the only, I have nothing against tattoos. It's just, if I get a tattoo without a needle, you know, I might be interested, but I'm not. Um, and so I go in, and there's this guy there who's from California, of all places, boasted in the name of Yogi. And I say, hey. And he says, oh, you're not from around here. We start talking, and he pulls out his catalog. What kind of tattoo do you want? I said, I don't want a tattoo. He says, well, why are you here? And I just point across the road to the church, and I said, see that church? I'm, I'm one of the pastors there, and I just wanted to come in and say, welcome to the neighborhood. And I'm trying to figure out how do I tell Yogi Bear um, who's a tattoo artist, um, that God loves him. So I just said, I tried to fudge it and I say, we're just wish you that you'll find real fulfillment here. And as you can tell, you're the only tattoo place. And, and again, that thought comes through, tell him I love him. So I say, and Yogi, really, I'm here to tell you that Jesus loves you. And he says, right on, let me show you my Jesus. And he turns this tattoo of like the craziest demon Jesus ever. And I'm like, yeah, I think we know a different Jesus. But, you know, what was great about Yogi is he had the most comfortable sofa in Southwest London, and he made the best coffee. And so I kind of befriended him, and I would just stop in at the tattoo parlor on the way to work, sit down and have a coffee, and just kind of chat and go. And then all of a sudden, uh, as time went on, he disappeared for two weeks. Nobody, nobody knew what had happened to him. And anyway, we're... A few weeks in, we're starting up Wednesday, and who comes through the door but Yogi? And I'm like, Yogi, what are you doing here? And his eyes looked like they were just full of light. He said, that's a funny story. I said, yeah. I said, immigration detained me for two weeks. I said, oh, I'm so sorry. I said, no, no, it's all good. So what happened? He said, well, this chaplain came by my cell twice a day, and he was the most annoying guy ever. And finally I said to him, if I give my life to Jesus, will you leave me alone? And the guy said, sure. So, so I got saved. And I've been trying to find a church that I could go to, but this is the only church I've found that says that tattoo artists are loved. So we have this tattoo artist who starts coming to everything. I mean, he even tried to come to the women's Bible study because he was just so hungry. And no one had ever 
told him that, um, that Jesus loved him as he was. And so his clients start coming and um, it's just suddenly the church gets turned inside out and in, a, in the most wonderful way. And we had this one time with this lovely guy, David Potter, who had for years, because of stuff that had happened to him as a, through the foster uh, care system, uh, became a, lived on the streets and would sit outside of Victoria train station, you know, just panhandling for, for money. And he tells it um, that a woman came by and said, would you like to meet the God who is love? And he said, oh, I've got nothing better to do, sure. And so he, long story short, he gets saved and starts coming to church on Wednesday. And then when the police start coming, one of them walks in and recognizes Dave because he'd been the beat cop in that area and he thought David died and um, it was incredible because David says well I'm not dead thank you very much but let me tell you what's happened and to see David tell this police officer what God had done in his life I mean the police officer just completely melted and um, gave his life to Jesus and it was you know we saw very clearly the topsy-turvy nature of the kingdom that everything kind of inverts at some point where um, the powerless suddenly are used so mightily and so powerfully in the lives of people who appear to have everything. And if God did something, I didn't want them to think it was because A, I was white, I had a degree, and I was ordained. And so I wouldn't pray for anything, but we said to them, if you come long enough, you'll get a PhD. And what we meant by that is, we'll, 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 you'll be able to prophesy, heal the sick, and drive out demons. And, um, and so as we taught them to pray for each other, we just began to see the most incredible things happen. And I think that's one of the big things an urban ministry taught me is that um, we would have people come and say, I really want to see God do th- great things. And, and a ministry to people on the margins of society is really the answer because when you serve the poor, we have an opportunity to help them meet their needs and bring them into community. And what they give us in return is so rich because they give us their faith and their experience of God. Two weeks ago, I was in a, 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 the church in my uh, mother-in-law's hometown, which is just outside of the city of Exeter. And the church was, you know, it's, um, it, it's beautiful. And it's, it's, there was like, what, 130 people there. And the worship was starting. And then 10 minutes in, um, these four people come in and sit in the very front and you could tell they just had an Eastern European look about them. And they just begin to worship with everything they have. The most incredible moving, excuse me, moving thing. And as I talked afterwards to the, the pastor of the church, I said, you know, who are those for? I said, they are God's gift to us in this time. He said, you know, COVID has been hard on us because we had three lockdowns. And... Um, not long ago, these four Ukrainians came. And their zeal and their heart for Jesus is powerful. It's helping us. And so they are actively trying to get as many Ukrainians to move to their town um, because they say we need their help. And what we give them in return, lodging, clothes, pales um, in comparison to what they're giving us. I hope you guys are encouraged by these stories. I think 
Um, one of the reasons we do this podcast is because we want people to know that there is always more available for us in Christ Jesus, more joy, more peace, like every gifting that the Holy Spirit pours out there. It's an endless well. It never dries up and that's available to you. Um, if you avail yourself to it and, you know, it says that, um, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Yes. And that is what we are bringing to you each episode. I think that um, my interpretation of that verse or what I understand of that verse is that when we testify of what God's done in our own life it, and, um, and it reaches someone else, that that um, can be breakthrough for them. Absolutely. So I I hope that there's uh, a, a testimony in Dave's story for you. Yeah, and we just pray, Holy Spirit, have your way with the listeners. Have your way in their hearts and show them what you want them to receive from this message today. Okay, and if you like Dave's story, then um, you're going to hear another one uh, next week. Yeah. So also feel free to share, share, share this episode. The more you share, the more people hear it, the more um, are encouraged and the more growth that um, can come from this. So thank you so much for listening. We are beyond grateful for you guys and uh, we hope that you have a blessed day. We encourage you to ask Holy Spirit what he wants to say to you through this story. We invite you to partner with us through your God-given resources of time, prayer, and finances. Without your sharing, these stories don't spread to those who need them. Without your prayers, we are limited in what we can do for the kingdom. Without your finances, these powerful stories of God's supernatural love go untold. God has called us to share His stories, and we invite you to be a part of that mission. For more information, be sure to check out our website, theunseenstory.org. Thanks so much for listening.